Blog Talk Radio. Got somebody waiting, baby. Gone home, don't wanna jeopardize your safety, maybe later. You shake the haters and get busy. You say you want to do same thing, then get with me. If not, then hit me. I know you know the history. Last ride round looking real crispy. Ride round town, top down on the grizzly. Grind all the time to say how to eat the sizzling. I thought I told you we run stop signs. Cause we don't stop till the cop come knocking, try to block sign. Not mine, Swan gone rhyme. Why? Like sunshine and cold north through summertime. Now, about that.
Hello, this is the Empress. I am so sorry. I am having technical difficulties. I hope you're there. Can you hear me? I'm here. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Oh, wow. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. You know what? I have had a day and a half, and it didn't stop uh, just now. And I see I have uh, callers on the line already. I'm going to go ahead and open up your lines, and we're going to play a song to try to get our breath, catch our breath. Ooh-sah. Let's say it together. Ooh-sah. <laughs> 1509, are you there? Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I'm here. Great. Uh, 0316, are you there, and can you hear me? Please, I, I know you can hear me. Zero three one six, the last four digits of your phone number. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me because I hear you. Let's do this. I need to catch my breath. I need to get my thoughts together. We are going to get started tonight. It's going to be a good show. It's always like that whenever I have a great show in mind, and tonight is going to be no different from that. One quick song, and then we'll get right into it.
everything begins with an honest, open conversation. The Empire is exactly that place, and you can just weigh in, listen, or debate with others about topics ranging from childcare, sex, religion, and politics. We talk about the things that matter, the things we experience, and we make plans for how we can better live with change. Real talk, real people, real issues with real solutions. Call 646-478-5625 every Sunday and Wednesday at 8 Central on Blog Talk Radio to get Empire with the Empress. Or you can log on to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Empire, where the Empress speaks and the Empire listens. one of those days. It's been one of those. And this is February. It's supposed to be like a welcoming month for me because I am an African-American woman. I'm proud to be black. I'm excited to be black. And tonight is no different than that. We have a special guest on tonight. I am excited because it's not very often that I inbox people to say that I just really want to talk to you, that they actually believe me and they follow through and they don't say, well, who is this crazy lunatic looking woman who's trying to contact me through these social feeds? Uh, tonight is going to be hopefully a recapturing of the importance of the black male in our society. And, you know, last night we did have a show at a show that was very, I would say for me, entertaining. It was one of those shows that I was able to take a, a little deep, uh, not a little, a huge deep breath and get my wits about some of the issues that I personally have. And I think that I serve sometimes as a mouthpiece for women who aren't as open or uh, willing to say those truths. I don't, uh, uh, anticipate that I speak for every woman, but I think that I do uh, represent a lot of women, not just uh, single mothers, not just divorcees, not just black women, um, not just natural, nappy-headed women. I think that I represent the movement of women who want to be led by the man. And when we talk about the man, we talked about it last night, you know, the definition of who that is, what that is. Of course, I can't tell you what a man is uh, in the essence of what he is and who he is. I can tell men what I would like for myself as a woman. But I have always said, and we always have said this on, on the Empire, it is important to hear the truth of any matter from the mouths of those who are the experts at it. Like, who better would you ask except for a man about manhood, about some of the issues that we have in our society, particularly with um, some of the issues that we have in the black community. And um, I'm hoping that my um, – Get him. My my daughter just walked in, and you know they know that when I'm on the show, they 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 lock me up, and my puppy waits on that door to open to sneak in. But as soon as I let him stay with me, he will act a donkey. He will act just like a rowdy brother. Uh, and and again tonight we're not gonna we're not bashing on the men. We're not trying to make uh, uh, an example or reemphasize the, the 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 falsehoods that are being put out in the media 
on social uh, networks and in the public eye about black men. We just want to explain some things or possibly get some understanding from their points of view. Now, I looked at some statistics, and, of course, my show originated from you know, me having such a difference of listeners and participation on Wednesday nights and on Thursdays because of these new shows. Uh, it's kind of ironic. I have been the empire. I was the empire before empire started on Wednesday. But ironically, they have just taken me almost to a, a uh, insignificance with regard to Participation, but I know this. I know that whatever you practice and whatever you constantly put in the face of persons is what they uh, actually absorb. And I think if we do something positive or we at least uh, talk about the issues that we have, it will be a benefit for not just black women, not just black men, but for a community of people as a whole. Now, this does have potential to benefit more than just the black community because it is a truth, and all truths can help with all people. But I happen to be black, and, and, and I have to say this too. My being supportive and loving of my black people does not mean I hate other persons. That is not what that means. I love black men. Okay? I love black men. Um, I had to say this last night. You know, one of my callers was like, are you sure? Are you sure you really like black men? Because you always ranting and raving about black men. But I think that if I don't care or if I refuse to address some of the issues that I have with black men, it becomes a passive acceptance of what I don't like. But we're going to talk about different things to that subject matter possibly tonight. But I want to introduce you to my new friend. I hope he calls me friend, uh, Bishop Rick Wallace. Bishop Rick Wallace, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Yay! He is here on the Empire tonight, guys. And hey. <laughs> I hope you don't think I'm any more crazy tonight than you did earlier today. So if you would, just explain to the people how I became your Facebook friend or how this all came about, my asking you to come onto the show, and then introduce us to who you are, uh, Mr. Bishop Rick Wallace. Okay, uh, I'll start out by actually, although my Facebook page carries the moniker uh, Bishop, I actually now go by either Rick or when I do carry a title, I carry the title of Dr. Rick Wallace. I have a doctorate um, in uh, theology. Um, my no. focus, uh, not, I, I, and now I'll backtrack to how we actually came to uh, <laughs> engage one another. I'm, I was sitting up today and I was working uh, at my desk um I'm I'm busy. If I'm up during the day, I'm working, and you know, and uh-huh. that's just how I am. So I'm sitting there, and I look, and I got I had an alert, uh, and it just said, "Hey, look, I'm I'm sitting here reading one of your blog posts on the emasculation of black men. Please give me a call." And at the time, I was sort of tied up, and I couldn't break away. But uh, the moment that I could break away, I actually called, and that's not something I normally do for people who inbox me in my social media accounts because I get a bunch of crazy stuff but it, it, uh, <laughs> I'm right now it it, 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 it it was it was e- an easy decision for me for two different reasons first and foremost 
the emasculation of the black man, the feminization of the black man, even the homosexualization of the black man is, is a major issue to me. It's something that I am standing on quite firmly right now. So when you mentioned that, I felt that was something, okay, I need to uh, engage this because I don't know what the question is. I don't know what perspective uh, she's viewing this uh-huh. from. So uh, I want to touch it uh-huh. uh, just, you know, just to uh-huh. see if it's something that I can give. And so when we talk, uh, we ended up having a pretty uh, in-depth conversation on the matter of uh, black manhood, period, uh, from black uh-huh. masculinity to uh, the emasculation of the black man to the role uh, that the black man is currently playing in the community on down the line. And we dealt with that, uh-huh. and we, uh, I think that we you know, got to learn a lot about each other in that process. Uh, as far as who I am, I am a person who has been blessed enough to see success in a number of different areas in life, uh, but also uh, I've had my challenges, and I've gone through some issues. Uh, as we discussed earlier, uh, a lot of my passion uh, is fueled by the fact that I failed at marriage twice. And uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in how I realized later in just really searching and discovering and, you know, dealing with things both from an academic and experiential perspective as far as studying from, uh, from a psychological, sociological, and spiritual uh, perspective uh, the struggles of black men in America and why there's this huge gulf between black men and black women. Um, mm-hmm. I realized that even though I had my grandfather in the home with me, I was reared by my great-grandparents. And even though I had him, that man, that strong man in the home, it did not eliminate the issues that were created by the absence of my father, who I did not know. Uh, The first time I ever saw my father was at his funeral. And uh, I didn't realize that I spent a great deal of my life trying to prove to my father, who was deceased, that I was worthy of his attention. And that's done in a lot of different ways, whether it's success in business, whether it's success as an athlete, all the different things that were done. uh, I didn't realize how much of an impact that was having on me, how I was trying to validate myself to my father. And so I've gone on and gone on, and I've looked at the progress or the lack thereof of black men in America and the roles that we play in uh, the black community, so to speak. And so... That's where I'm at now. It's not just dealing with black men, but dealing with my people. I heard you say that you are a black person, and I am a black man first. Uh, Before I talk about my faith, I talk about my race, because uh, before I ever uh, moved into my faith, I was a black person. And no matter what I choose and what direction I head in, I will always be a black person. And I love my black people unapologetically, and I love all of them. No matter where we're at, where their walk is, I identify with them. So Uh where I'm at now is about being involved. I'm in the communities. I'm dealing with youth. I'm dealing with men. I'm dealing with families. I counsel, uh, you know, married couples uh, and and individuals. Uh So I'm I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of different uh, areas of the black community, but my goal is to at some point enlighten and empower our community to come to a point of, consciousness of who we are as a people so that we can Uh move away from self-hatred into a place Uh of uh, self-awareness and elevate ourselves. Now, you and I, we did, we had a wonderful conversation. It was so 
it, it just, I, I took notes. I don't know if you knew. I was writing, and a lot of the things that you said, I, I wish that we I could touch on every bit of it, but some of the things that stood out was what you have already reemphasized is you're not being apologetic for being black and having a need to try and give back to your people. First of all, do you think that black men actually are aware uh, of the necessity of at least patching together that missing father, because I think a large number of black men don't have their fathers or haven't had father figures, and even with your having had a strong black figure, you still met difficulty. Could you expound a little bit upon that? Because I don't think that the significance of uh, their not having a role model is understood. Well, first of all, there are a number of different things. There's a spiritual, emotional, and physical dynamic that takes place as far as fatherhood is concerned and the impact of a father on the life of their progeny. And that goes for both the female and male progeny. For the daughter, he's the sense of their self-worth. He is their identity. Um, they, he is that, that, that person that will set the standard for her for the male progeny for the son, he is the direct um, uh, model through which they will model themselves. I, uh, I said, this, said this to you earlier. One of the major issues that we're having with black men right now is that they're being reared by black women. And, and, uh-huh. and that creates an issue because no ma- a, a black woman can, can work her behind off, and, and our women have done as much as they possibly can. They can work their butt off. They can be uh-huh. a provider. They can put a roof over the head. They can bring food in the house. They can be an educator, but they can't teach a young black man how to be a man because okay. learning how to be a man is not simply from instruction. It's from observation. It is from being able uh-huh. to model activity off of what you see. And if there uh-huh. isn't a consistent male role model through which you can model, then there will be a proclivity for boys to develop female tendencies Mm. based on what they observe from their mother. That's why you have so many black men now who sit on social media threads and argue like women. Uh And, 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 And I can tell when I'm on a social media thread and there is a debate going on, and then there's a brother on there that just has to have the last word, I know right then and there he was reared by his mom. And there are no listen, Doctor, you have never heard me probably before today even say that very thing. But that is one of the things that just unearths me about the the similarities between these supposed quote unquote males and females. There is a shortening of difference between the way we even act on social media. So it's 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 refreshing that I'm not crazy. Because I've said that and people are like, what are you talking about? I have actually said those exact same words. And that you can even, as a strong black man, alpha-type male, uh, can say that you recognize that. Why are we, why are other black men not addressing that? Because if I address it, it's just like a bitch war. It's just me and and a male going at it like two females. Why don't black men address that? I mean, it's, 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 it's just very blatant. It's very much there. Well, uh, I have no problem addressing it. 
uh, here's the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, when mm-hmm. when when you're dealing with a situation where predominantly uh, the vast majority of black men that are coming out of the last two generations uh, were reared mm-hmm. by single mothers, the mm-hmm. predominant the predominant mindset is a feminine mindset. Now you have to keep in mind that the black mm-hmm. race is the only matriarchy in America. Every other race is a patriarchy. Uh, there's a hierarchy in, in the community, and it starts with the man. But in the black community, it's a matriarchy. The women have predominant uh, power over spending. We, they are the most influential in the community. They are the most involved in the community. And men have taken a backdrop. And the thing is, those men who actually have some sort of level of mobility are now still perpetuating psychological issues that are an extension of slavery, such as competition. They're too busy online having uh, peace measuring contests. That, that's the best way I can put it. Um, you know, uh-huh. you know, and they're doing that in a number of different ways. They, you know, they they they, they got their uh, the pictures of how how built and you know buff they are. Or if if, if they're not built and buff, they got their car and their home. You know, or, 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 you uh-huh. know. You know, trying to show that off. If it's not that, then they're trying to have uh-huh. intellectual measuring context. You know, it's 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 it's, uh-huh. it's that competitiveness. So there's not there are not enough men who are functioning in the true role of men. And uh-huh. what I mean by that is that, you know, the true role of a man is first of all to function as a husband and a father, a provider for those in his home. But it extends into the community, uh-huh. and it is to take on those men who are younger than him, not just youth, but those uh-huh. adult men who are younger than him, and mentor those men and bring those men into a, self, a, a certain level of self-awareness and empowerment. It is to be able to, at uh-huh. some point, pass the torch to the next generation uh-huh. so that they can reach those that are so distant in generation that I, there, there, there are youth that I probably can't reach because there's such a distance in the way that we view things that don't see. But if I can reach the guys who are in their 30s and their late 20s, then they can reach the teenagers. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. they pass uh-huh. on the wisdom. They pass on the knowledge. They pass on the sense of self-awareness. But we have to address this. We uh-huh. have to look at a situation in which we're not only dealing with the, the feminization of the male image, we're dealing with mass incarceration. So, in other words, what we're not losing to femininity, we're losing to incarceration. We're losing to uh-huh. gang violence. We're losing to white violence. And so there's a uh-huh. small core of individuals that, that are, are, are trying to make an impact, but we are not used uh-huh. To being as a collective We're not used to being unified We're not used to offering uh-huh. support We have been conditioned From day one of coming off of the ship 400 years ago We have been conditioned not to uh-huh. trust one another And so we uh-huh. Will listen to I, I watch Tim Wise a lot And he uh-huh. presents a lot of Information he, he, he provides A lot of information but he's not providing any facts about us as a people that black men aren't providing. The difference is he's white, so we tend to give him more validity and more credibility just based on the fact that he's huh. white. We've got to break that mentality and start being able to embrace the leadership that we do have and give them a platform in which they feel comfortable and secure speaking the truth. See, we have a tendency to tear huh. our leaders down. We have a tendency to attack yeah. our leaders. 
We have a tendency to leave yeah. our leaders exposed to the enemy. So what you have are a bunch of men who may know but don't feel comfortable or safe speaking the truth because we won't stand behind them. Number one is you can't have a leader who has a job in white America and have him speaking the truth because he's going to lose his job. So the black community has to be willing to take care of him. But what we've been taught is we're not supposed to take care of our leaders. So what you have are men who have to support their family, so they're out in a system that is antithetical or diametrically opposed to the views they have, but they can't speak Uh truth because that's how they make their living. So you can't lead like that. Uh The black community has to Uh be, first of all, willing to embrace our leaders who are willing to speak the truth unapologetically, who are are people who are not looking for popularity, people who are not worried Uh about making people comfortable, people who are inspired and passionate about empowering our people, bringing men back into uh, their rightful places and their roles as leaders, providers, protectors of our communities and our homes. That's what we need, but we're not getting that because, first of all, those who may be uh, willing to do it don't feel comfortable. This is one of the reasons why I thank God that I've always been my own boss because that allows me the comfort zone of speaking the truth. Now, uh-huh. I'll tell you that 95% uh-huh. of my clientele are white. And uh-huh. I have lost clientele based on my views and based on some information that they've read that I've written or that I they, they saw uh-huh. me speak in some video. And they come to me and withdrew uh, from using my services. Uh-huh. But I stand firmly uh-huh. on what I believe. But I couldn't do that. And eat uh-huh. and take care of my family. If right. I was working for IBM, if I was working for uh, Google, right. if I was working for Microsoft, I would have to be uh-huh. very careful on what I tread because these people are looking at social media. They are hawking social media to try uh-huh. to see what's going on because they are intimidated by the black man. The worst fear of white men right now today is that black men will wake up and realize their true power. I've said it. I've said it. And until black men realize the power that they have, it will continue to perpetuate itself. You actually said those things and you've written those things in your books and also in some of uh, what what has been printed in, in the media. Uh, the Invisible Father was one of your books, if I'm not mistaken, and then When Your House Is Not a Home. And in those uh, you kind of related today when we were talking about the psyche of the the black woman and how she has almost had to kind of morph into this strong superpower only because of the absenteeism of, of the man. But you relate, and I'm a big person about not liking black history because of some of it being extremely painful. It's very hard to hear and it's very damning and it's hard to even pass to my my children because it's it's hard to say. You know, people just didn't like us just because we were black and they did this, this, this and that. But you actually took me down from the boat all the way till today and explained to me how it was an orchestrated uh, system of separating that black man 
from that woman and child. And if you could share that with us, I thought that was one of the most powerful things that I said. I actually saw it in my head. I knew those things, but I don't think that we actually realized the gravity of of, of what we lost when the black man was purposely removed and now in some instances are making the choice to remove themselves. If you could share that with us, if you remember what what, I, what I'm speaking oh, about. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this. <laughs> I live and breathe this so, um uh, what, what we have to understand is that there's an actual psychology to effective slave ownership. And so when we look at things, we have to understand, uh, if we study history, we can study and understand uh, how things flow uh, in, in the sense of there's a difference in, captivate, in, in capturing Someone and uh-huh. conquering someone, and see you can capture a people through military might, but in order to conquer a people, you have to render their men impotent. As long as their men remain unbroken, you will always have uprising, you will always have resistance, and you will never get the full efficiency of whatever it is that you conquered them or you you captured them for. So in order to turn Uh captives into those who are conquered, you have to Uh marginalize the power and strength of their men. And and as I explained earlier, that in 1712, uh, you know, there's some who challenge this, uh, but I've, you know, gone through a number of different institutions, uh, I mean, even Harvard, and I pulled this this Uh file and this letter called the Willie Lynch letter. And in 1712, uh-huh. Willie Lynch, uh, who was a plantation owner in the West Indies, uh, who, who had become highly effective in managing his slaves without causing a great deal of damage or harm to them in the sense of having to kill them. Because what they found in the U.S., they were having problems with black male slaves because they would beat them into the inch of their lives. They would do everything all the way up to kill them, and they couldn't break them. Uh-huh. And Willie Lynch came in and said, you're doing it wrong. If you uh-huh. want to break a man, you take away those things that he identifies with his masculinity and his manhood. The first uh-huh. thing you do immediately is you take away the ability for him to provide and protect. So uh-huh. he can't provide for his family because he doesn't own anything. You've already taken that away. But now you must take away uh-huh. his ability. He must see and his woman must see that he can no longer protect her. And so what they would do is they would take the female and rape her in front of the male. Uh And that would show that he couldn't protect her. Then that wasn't the only thing that broke him. That was the beginning of the breaking process. What kept him from ever recovering was, can you imagine being in a house with a woman that you could not protect? And every time there was a disagreement, she reminded you of the fact that you couldn't protect her, but now you're trying to tell her what to do. And so that began the process of a woman developing a certain level of contempt for the Batman. But to make sure that the bonding process did not take hold, they, they created a system in which black men would mate with strong black women, and then they were often sold off after mating. 
So they developed a mindset and a natural emotional development of procreating and abandoning their progeny. And so that left the woman to fend for herself. And what happened in the reverse was the woman learned that the only way that she could literally create any type of security for herself was to negotiate directly with the master because the master was the only one who actually had power to protect her. Right. Right. So she learned how to to, to work her daily to create a situation where (laughs) she worked with the master. That's where you get so many Uh mulattoes. That's where you get so many uh-huh. mixed or interracial. Uh, that's where a lot of the light complexion comes from is because black women figured, okay, this is where it's at. I got to do what I got to do. But what she did in the uh-huh. process without even realizing, and, and, and uh, uh, Willie Lynch talks about this, what she did is she, she, she started creating reverse roles with her children. She, uh-huh. she, she, she brought up her daughter to be psychologically strong and willing to negotiate oh. for her security and, and, and to be independent in thought processes. But she brought up her young son because she feared for his life. She brought him up to be psychologically weak but physically strong. So he was docile. He was uh-huh. taught to behave and obey and do what he was told, even when it came to women. Uh-huh. A man can never function uh-huh. when he has been trained to be obedient to women, I even train uh, the people that I work with. There's a certain time when the mother needs to stop dominating the son. There's a time uh. when the father is supposed to take over, and he's supposed to be the disciplinarian. He's supposed to be the one to lay down the law. There's a time that the mother uh. should stop telling the son what to do because uh. what she's doing is training him to need guidance and leadership from women he's supposed to be guiding and leading. Right. No. Right. Right. And, and and what I what I shared with you earlier is uh we have to understand what we're dealing with today by understanding what we went through yesterday. And it's painful. Uh but it's extremely important to understand what we went through. Uh two of my colleagues, two people that I have a great deal of respect for who have accomplished great work in this area, and I shared this with you earlier today, uh Dr. Uh Naeem Akbar and Dr. Joy DeGrasse. Both of them have dealt with the psychological issues that have uh, uh, extended themselves from slavery. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Agbar uh, has a very uh, powerful book called Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery. Dr. DeGry has become world-renowned for her book, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Uh, and, what, and one of the points that Dr. DeGry makes is that when you go back to slavery, from the moment that they were put on these boats, before the, the uh, you're talking about the three month trip, the moment they were put on these boats and and, and all the tra- trauma they went through, all you got to remember, slaves are dying on these boats. A significant amount of slaves didn't right. make it because because of the conditions right. on the boat. A lot of them died, and so they would actually pack these boats, overpack these boats, so that they could make up for the slaves that would die. Then they get over here and they're going through this and they're going through it. And over 300 years of beating slaves. Uh, hanging slaves, mm-hmm. killing slaves, all the different things you have. That's a highly traumatic experience. And what you have to understand mm-hmm. is after slaves were emancipated, the trauma didn't stop. We were immediately put into Reconstruction and we were introduced to Jim Crow. Jim Crow mm-hmm. created another type of hostility towards blacks. Now we're being lynched at a record, uh, mm-hmm. at a record number. Now we're being hunted and killed 
by the Ku Klux Klan, and you know, people are white people are living literally having picnic hangings, uh-huh. where they are hanging uh-huh. black people and having picnics and their children around. This is the environment that we're put in. Now, Doctor Jagrat, Doctor uh, DeGraw talks about the fact that when you send a soldier over to uh, uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, and they uh-huh. do a six month to uh-huh. a nine month tour, and they come back. You can almost guarantee that they're going to be suffering from at least a certain level of post-traumatic stress disorder and that they have to go through a certain uh, amount of counseling in order to deal with that or they become a ticking time bomb. They become hypervigilant. They become so many other different things that are directly associated with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, you got to look at the traumatic experiences of blacks for over 300 years of captivity and enslavement, what they went through. And Dr. Uh-huh. DeGraff points to the uh-huh. fact that after we were emancipated, there was no mass counseling going on. There wasn't counseling sessions. There wasn't right. any healing process. Right. What we went from, we went out of the flying, flying plan into the fire, and we didn't get any treatment. We didn't get any treatment after Jim Crow. We didn't get any treatment after uh-huh. segregation. We have taken all of those wounds, all of those scars, all of those issues, and we've perpetuated them down through generations. And there's a bunch of people behaving today in ways that they don't understand because they have their, their parents never dealt with it, their grandparents never dealt with it, their great-great-grandparents never dealt with it. So they are still dealing with issues that they can't directly explain, but it is scar tissue, uh-huh. it is psychological scar tissue that have led us to the point that where we are today and we're dealing with it. We're dealing with men who don't stick with families because black men have never been able to stick with families in this country. And because we don't teach our history beyond slavery, we don't see the black family in Africa. We don't see how we behave as a village in Africa. We only have captivity uh-huh. as our history in America. So there's an inferiority uh-huh. complex that goes with that. There's, a, that, there's uh-huh. this drive for the, white, the black man to validate himself with the white woman. Because uh-huh. that's how he sees the validation. The greatest prize of the white man, who is the man who oppressed the black man, is the white woman. Uh-huh. Now, I want to open up the lines. So uh, the lines are open before you go there because that is the, the, I'm ready to go there. Like I have, I have tried so many times to articulate exactly what you're saying. There is a, a, a pattern and a system to where we are today. This didn't just happen, and it isn't just a choice. And some people can't really articulate what is actually happening while they're making these choices, and I can't believe it's that much love. And and, and, ain't nobody, and the, the worst line that I hate, uh, Doctor, is that uh, it, it's colorblind. We're we're human. We're all human. We're all the same. That's that's just some bull to me. <laughs> and I think that it, it works if you want it to work, so that you won't have to explain. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it, some people just don't even know that they're actually suffering from this. And you had no way of knowing that I actually have practiced psychiatric nursing in the field of nursing that I practice now. I work with people who have psychiatric disorders, and and, and you even related some of the issues of homosexuality and the history of where that whole movement being kind of interwoven into this gay movement. It used to be a a behavioral health issue. It used to be a psychiatric disorder, but it was removed for some other reasons. But I want to open up the lines before we get to this uh, choosing outside of your race 
and choosing outside of your sexual compatibility because it really is not compatible for two men to, I mean, it'll it'll work, or two women, it'll work, but it's not meant for that. And in the very beginning of this conversation, the provision and protection is under the umbrella of marriage, and, and I do want to talk about that too, but let's go to the lines. I want to identify you by the last four digits of your phone number. If you would, just say hello, let me know that you can hear me well, that you're enjoying the conversation or not, or if you have any questions for the doctor, please let me know. First caller is 0584. Are you there? Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Okay, and can I ask who I'm speaking with? This is, I'm sorry, this is uh, this is Dana Winston. Yes, Dana, we talked last night, and I'm telling yes, you yes. that... Uh, th- this may be your long distance brother here on the phone. Okay, uh, the the doctor here. He I, I, he made me actually think of you when we were talking earlier today. Do you have any questions for the doctor? Or would like to reemphasize or agree or disagree with what you've heard so far? Uh, I just first I want to say, doctor, uh, respect first. Um, from everything that I heard you. Everything I didn't, I haven't heard the whole conversation, but for everything that I did hear, uh, I'm I'm agreeing with it. I've I've uh, I've read uh, one of uh, Dr. Akbar's books, uh, Visions for Black Men. Um, also, have had the opportunity to to uh, do a little research um, and reading up um, also on uh, Juanza Kunjufu. Uh, uh, I forget the um, the conspiracy to destroy black boys. Um, so from from all that I heard, I'm in I'm in agreement with uh, with everything that that you said. I just want to say respect, and I'm listening. Well, okay, thank uh, you so much. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Uh, Eighty nine ninety one. Are you there? Can you hear me? Eight nine nine one. I see you there. Just say hello. Just say hello. Don't be scared. Just say hello. Hello. <laughs> Eight nine nine one. Maybe you don't know the last four digits of your phone number. That's okay too. Zero three one six. Are you there? And can you hear me? Yes. Good evening. My name is Toya Gibson. I agree with him completely. Okay, and I, it's so refreshing to hear, you know, I, I hear a little femininity in your voice, so I'm going to say that you're female, correct? Oh, very much so, yes, ma'am. Is it not refreshing to hear the <coughs> articulation of emotion from a black man? Because they try to say that black men don't have any feelings other than being angry and being sexual, like those are not the gamut range. I'm sure that everybody has that. But is, does it not move you to hear someone speak intelligently about what has happened to us? Oh, most definitely. Uh, we need him cloned. <laughs> and I hate to say it that way, but, yes, it is very, very refreshing. 
Thank you so much. And I, I wanted to tell you that, Doctor, earlier as soon and I know this was gonna happen and I was so glad that you didn't think that I was trying to come at you because it happens to me being on the radio and just being a loud mouth, you know, that's what people call me. But I think that I'm just being intellectual and I'm trying to gather persons who would love to have uh open, honest conversations. I've been told, you know, that it's not good etiquette to go on anybody's inbox and just say, give me a call or leave your number, but I just felt moved like I needed to do that. And as soon as I did, we had the conversation. I was excited. I said, we're going to have the show. It's going to be a great conversation. And I post your picture, and oh, my God, who is this Adonis? Who is this fine man? Oh, my God, Sharon, you have the most attractive man in the world in your in your corner. I'm like, you know, that's just, you know, and, you know, I had to act like I just really knew you real well. So, oh, yeah, that's my friend. That's my friend. We cool like that or whatever. But I'm I'm glad that you can show a face of more than just being attractive. And and a lot of the things that I think that are associated with a black man in particular is that you're somehow hollow. Like you don't have substance. Like you don't have something to say. And that is just not the truth of the black men that I know or even the men I don't know. There has got to be substance because a lot of uh, invention, a lot of uh, uh, everything that has been done and done well, if you trace it back, and I'm not trying to go back into history all the time, but it all, almost always comes to the point of, uh, of black influence, and that's with fashion, that's with industry, that's with uh, everything, and I don't think that it's any different with regard to communication and, 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 and intellectual talk. But we were talking about earlier too the 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 placement of the black man outside of the black family, but in particular and, and I hate to say it like this, but there there's like a growing statistic of men who feel like there's not a worthy enough black woman for them. And there are a growing number of black women who feel like, uh, I have exhausted all black men are, you know, are dogs. I hate to even say it, but, the, you know, that's just, they ain't got nothing to offer. I need to go outside of my race to get what I need. What what did you, what did we talk about about that? Because I had actually an aha moment when you were speaking about that. I didn't even think of it in that way, but I totally agree with your perspective on that issue. The black man marrying or choosing to be with someone other than a black sister. Well, I mean, what we have to do is uh, again, uh, you know, due to my uh, because of my background in psychology, I tend to analyze things. Uh, from a uh, perspective, a psychological perspective, a mental perspective of what causes behavior. Uh, because behavior uh-huh. isn't something that just simply manifests itself. It's the result of something that causes the, the outward manifestation of behavior. So you look at what a person is thinking, and then uh, and their thought processes will, are, are, will be indicative of their behavior. That's why Carter G. Woodson said uh, if you are able to control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so what we have to look at is, okay, what is the thought process that's guiding uh, black men to gravitate towards specifically white women? And so we, again, have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back and realize that a great deal of effort has been placed into creating an inferiority complex in blacks that is the root of self-hatred. And uh, at the same time, there is an 
internal hatred for self, there's also uh, this sort of sick love for the oppressor. So not only do we not see ourselves in a positive light, we see them in an elevated light. So Uh we tend to aspire to them. That's why something, uh, you know, uh, like Madam C.J. Walker becoming a millionaire because she came up with a formula that will allow black women to straighten their hair. Well, Uh and and that immediately created the situation when we saw uh, interracial people who came out of slavery uh, because their moms or their grandmoms were raped by white masters, and we saw the different textures of the hair. It became the one with the wavy or straight hair had the good hair. The one who had the natural, uh-huh. uh, more kinky hair had the bad hair because uh-huh. with, that's how we perceived uh-huh. it. Uh, we perceived white features uh-huh. as being good, black features as being bad. Well, in the same sense, uh-huh. uh, the male did not escape that mental dynamic. Self-hatred is real. And then we're dealing with two dynamics. There's nothing uh, There's nothing from the innermost being, there's nothing that a black man hates more than a white man. Uh, uh, now, uh, we have been taught and conditioned not to express that because it comes with great uh, and dire and negative consequences. But the truth of the matter is, uh-huh. when, uh, 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 when, when we talked about this earlier, black women uh-huh. see racism as white people. Black men uh-huh. see racism as white men. This is uh-huh. a mono uh-huh. mono issue. And so the way uh-huh. that a black man re grabs his power, we gotta remember the white man has spent centuries um uh, emasculating the black man, taking away his power. Uh-huh. And the way that the black man uh-huh. attempts to regain the power is by taking the white man's pride. Now, also, which is, his white second, woman. which is his white, which is the, which is his woman. Now, that it goes right. a little deeper than that. It's not simply I'm going to get your prize, because the prize uh-huh. validates me. It also says I have the power, but it goes a step uh-huh. further. There's also an element of self hatred involved. See, it also you also for a black man to bypass a black woman. To take a white woman, it takes more than just I want to get back at the white man. He has to also believe that he's taking a step up. Now, uh-huh. what in, in his self in, in, in his in, in his subconscious, what he does not understand is that if I believe that the white woman is better than the black woman, I also believe that the black the white man is better than the black man. So say that I'm again feeding, because that was the key key. That was a key key for me. That was something that I did not, I, 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 I felt it, but I didn't even see it that way. Say that again. Say that. I cannot, I, cannot, I cannot have a belief that getting a white woman elevates me because the white woman is somehow better than the black woman without mm-hmm. internally and subconsciously believing that the white man is better than me. Mm. It is still a form of self-hatred. I have not yet come to the full awareness of who I am as a man, so I'm still seeking external validation. And the ultimate validation of power, manhood, and success is white to me. Now, Uh let's go back to 1967. In 1967, there were uh, anti-misogynist laws. 
which basically said you couldn't ma- marry outside of your race, right? And so, and, and, and so, uh, especially all the southern states from Texas all the way over to the East Coast, Georgia, Virginia, South North Carolina, Tennessee, all those were states that did not allow interracial marriage. And there was uh-huh. a case, uh, Loving, Loving versus Virginia, 1967. And what it was is a white uh-huh. man with the last name Loving married a black woman. Uh, soon they discovered, the, uh, uh, the officials in their county discovered that they were married, had them arrested, and the plea bargain was, we will release you, but you have to leave the state. You can't be married. Uh-huh. And so I think they left and went to Tennessee or some other place, uh, Kentucky or something like that, where they were able to live as uh-huh. husband and wife. But they returned uh-huh. to Virginia uh, for some type of a family event or whatever. The, the officials found out they were there and arrested them again. Uh, when they were finally released, they determined that they were going to fight for the right to be married to one another. Uh, eventually, it made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court struck down those laws that uh, disallowed interracial marriages, saying that it was not constitutional to use race as an inhibitor for, for marriage. And so when that happened, from 1967 to today, the rate at which black men have moved outside of our race to marry has exceeded all other men leaving their races combined. Meaning more Mm. black men are marrying outside of their race than all the other men in America combined. Now, the kicker isn't that you left the race. The kicker (laughs) isn't that you left the race. The kicker is that 97% of the men that married outside their race married white. Right. The balance in that lets me know that the marriage wasn't about love. Love mm-hmm. cannot create that, create that great of a disparity. There are some issues mm-hmm. that go along with the fact that you have to have a white woman. And what it is is that then you can go back and you can look at it from a socioeconomic perspective. It's not just mm-hmm. black men. It's successful, wealthy black men. Right. It's the right, cream. Right, it's the right, quote unquote right. cream of the crop. Right, right. And so, what I've been saying this forever, and 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 it, it's as if I'm speaking a different language. I'm saying it in a different way. There, there it is. It is orchestrated. It's not just any black man. Because to me, if it was love, that would be a possibility. That would be more of a standard. But what happens is, is a particular. Black man It's a particular right. wealth of black man and and, and, right. and and go ahead, I don't want to interrupt you no, no, all I was adding to that is the socio economic mm-hmm. uh variable explains a lot. what it's saying is one of the ways that I validate myself as a man is by my economic uh my my economic prowess, so what I'm mm-hmm. saying is I only see the opportunity to get a white woman. If I have a certain status, because to be totally honest, I don't have enough confidence in myself as a man to get that white woman without money. So, you know, so I'm still dealing with some issues as far as my own self-esteem. Because, see, it's like, okay, I, I, I can get me a white woman now because I got money. You know, you know, so... 
that that that's an issue that we've got to deal with. And what 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 my thing is, we've got to teach that to our black men. We've got to show our black men the importance of loving our black women. We've got to show our black men what it means to love our black women. We've got to show our black men that when it comes to 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 to, to power elevation uh, and love, there is no equal to our black women. But we can't see it because they've lied to us for so long and told us who they were and then downplayed who we were that we bought the lie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the lie right now is that we don't need you, that we don't want you. The lie now is that black women don't want black men, and that is just a lie. It's a lie. It is not a majority. It is what's being fed for people to start absorbing and start to practice, but it is not the truth. And you you spoke about that very, very, uh, very easily and just almost, it was just very plain for me to see that it it is an orchestration on exodusing uh, black women from um, the even capability of being there because I think that even before Ferguson, even before all of this, you know, all of this, outward expressed hatred of black men in particular, because that's all it is. It is nothing other than we do not want y'all here. And if you remove the black man, it doesn't matter how many black women you have. It's no different than what they did back in the day on the plantation. When you remove that head, the body can't function with a directiveness, with a, with a leadership or with a purpose. And as long as black men are not in place, do you not think it just adds for uh, more and more of our problems? Because I've said this before. I can't probably articulate it in the best way. But if black men continue to stay without coming back to the home of the family, does that explain some of the increases in, say, the lesbianism, the increases in the uh, homosexuality, the increases in the numbers of children that are aborted on a daily basis just in the black community when this is supposedly, you know, like we're, we're not even a great enough percentage for these types of programs to be in place, but it's affecting us majorly. Do you not think that that is uh, not a coincidence? No, it's absolutely correlated. It's a direct correlation in all of those instances, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about homosexuality, lesbianism, you're talking about mm-hmm. the high abortion rate in the black community. All mm-hmm. of these are mechanisms of white supremacy, and they have been orchestrated by the mindset of removing the man from the equation. Uh, it, it immediately mm-hmm. creates a lapse in leadership. Uh, it, it places a woman who is highly emotional and emotionally and driven by her emotions in a position of having to make decisions that must be made rational. And, 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 and that leads to a number of different things. In the way that she handles her, her children, she deals with them emotionally because she is designed to be a nurturer, but she is trying to maintain and cover everything. And so, so what you're looking at, when you start talking about taking the man out of the home, when you orchestrate not having a man home, we start looking at social programs that came out in the late 60s that said, yes, for, for, for all you black families that are struggling, we'll pay for your housing, we'll give you food stamps, we'll even give you a certain amount of money, but you can't have a man in the house. Mm. Mm. 
uh, immediately right driving. Then at the same time, the CIA started a movement where they uh, uh, started they 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 they, uh, they, they brought in uh, black women into the white feminist movement and created the mindset that you need to be focusing on getting your own rights because this is the stuff you're going through. The truth of the matter is. Feminism was all about white women trying to remove the oppressive measures of the white man off of their back. The truth of the matter is black men have never had the power to oppress black women. Oh. But, 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 but what happened is they were, black women were convinced. What happened is a white woman from the CIA wrote a book on feminism from a black perspective, went and recruited a young black 21-year-old woman, and, and, and named her as the author. By the time all of this stuff had actually come to the light, the feminist movement had kicked in in the black community, and that was divisiveness in the home. The black woman was gravitating away from the husband, and she was pursuing now her own career in corporate America. She was pursuing now her own role as a leader in the community. She was pursuing her autonomy as a person, and she was moving away from the black family nucleus and the black family hierarchy and structure. At the same time, you already have a black man who's struggling with his identity of his role as a leader in the community. So now he's not even being asked to stay in the home because there is no home. And now what we're left with, now what we're left with is a situation in which uh, you have uh, blacks who have the highest divorce rate in America, blacks who have the highest abortion rate, in America, black men who have now become the most, uh, the largest group of men who have determined that they're not ever getting married. And this isn't gay men, right. this is straight men. Right. They're not going to get married. Why? Because the family nucleus is broken down to the certain point that they've come to the realization that I can pretty much get everything I want without ever having to totally commit. Right. Mercy. And, and, and so yeah, ain't it a, ain't it a mercy? I, I hear you, Dana. Mercy, mercy over here too, because he's preaching. I mean, I, we call, I'm gonna call you Bishop right now because you really are. You, it's just the truth. I got I got really ragged earlier about oh, why are you pumping this guy up? Is it because he's a green? It's not even about you know me bandwagoning anything these are the things that i've said but i have not articulated those things in a way that i think are from a male prose and i can't just like you said at the beginning i can do a great job at doing what i do as a female but i cannot express the need for men like a man can express the need for men and and they listen to it differently. It's heard differently. It's received differently. And I don't think that uh, I, I, I'm bandwagoning. I think I'm just actually just putting the mouthpiece on where it needs to be because nobody's going to listen to Oprah. Nobody's going to listen to these other women who may actually be who may actually have something positive to say. But because we've been conditioned to kind of dummy down what the black woman is saying, because we've become these these angry black women who are really just crying out for leadership where other cultures of people have their men. Like, it it, it angers me that more women are not upset about it, you know, or more men are not vocal about it. It's like you just passe about it. 
I, well, if well, I could, go if ahead. I could just jump in real quick. Um, I think that uh, where we are, where we are, sort of in the stream of time, um, behind all of these uh, the things that the doctors just mentioned, um, we're like a couple of generations into it, a few generations into it, and so the children being born, the young people, the the people who are. Um, who are supposed to be the, you know, the, the bright minds, the one with the fresh perspectives, they're so far away from um, the original, um, the actual foundation of what it should be like that they don't know, and so they can't speak up to it. They can't say, hey, this is a problem, um, and it needs to be fixed because they don't know. All they know is what is what they've grown up in, and so – Individuals like the doctor and others who can say it are saying it, and it's just a matter of whether whether um, individuals will listen and begin to try to work together. It's like one of the things I mentioned last night in the conversation was that you know we we all rise and fall together if we can if each of us, a black man and a black woman, can recognize what it is that we're facing and and we can address those things individually then together what we can do is help each other and then we help build each other up it's not a it's not a simple process it's not an easy process it's not even an overnight process because it wasn't to get us from where we were to where we are didn't happen overnight right and so it's, it's going to take that same it's going to take Go it's going to take it's going to take an effort and it's going to take work to to get uh black men and black women where they need to be um doctor do you think that we can like i i i i feel optimistic that that's the reason why we have turnover i don't think that uh we're damned to stay in this way i think it may look different and I'm hoping you're going to say yes that we can. Well, uh, I'm a firm believer that anything is possible uh, when it's committed to. I think that there are a number of different dynamics in place and that we have to be able to recognize it and we have to be willing to commit to it. And I told you this in the beginning. My focus is on the men. Even though I work with women, I work with children, and I work with couples, Uh my my primary focus is on the men because I believe that as men, if we're going to accept the fact that we are uh, natural leaders, that we are Uh the catalyst, then it begins with us. It it cannot be Uh a finger-pointing contest. It can't Uh be, well, those women are over there hate, hate, they're hateful, they're they're disrespectful, you know, I'm not putting up with it, I'm done with it. Uh, you know, and then the women are saying, you know, those men over there, they're irresponsible. They don't care about us. All they want to do is go mess around. And, and, and so everybody's pointing fingers. And what you have to do is at some point, if you are a leader, you have to pull yourself out of the immature mentality of finger pointing. You have to understand that uh-huh. your responsibility is to lead. And just as a parent, you don't get to act a fool because your child acts a fool. You have to be the nah. one that makes the right decision to do what's necessary, and by doing what's necessary, ultimately your child will see the love that you have for them and realize even though they might not understand why they can't or why they have to, 
they see your love and they see your protection, they see your covering, and they respect that and they begin to flow with you. That's what men are going to have to do now. I tell men now, you're not satisfied with the mindset and the attitude of the black woman. And I have dealt with enough of them to understand why. But let me explain something to you. As the leader, it's your responsibility to love them back to life. You got to realize that the black woman in a lot of different ways is emotionally dead, psychologically dead, spiritually dead. And so what you have to do is love them back to life. You've got to do what you need to do as a man, even though you're not getting what you feel you need from them. What you will find is that they are designed to fall in line when the man is walking the way he's supposed to be walking, when he's leading the way he's supposed to be leading, when he's covering the way he's supposed to be covering, when you show her that you're willing to die for her, when you show her that there's no link that you're willing to go to, then, I'm just playing it, you know, then, then, then they will fall in line. You can't keep playing the blame game. That's the problem we're having right now is that we have been Uh trained in individualism. We're the only group Uh of people in America that function through individualism. Every other race in this country focuses and works and operates as a group, group economics, social, socioeconomic cohesiveness. All of them function. Mm-hmm. You, get, you, you can get them, and they, they may be a rift within the group, but the moment that an external force moves, moves against a group, they, uh, they, 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 come to, they galvanize. They come together, mm-hmm. and they work as a unit, where we are still functioning individually. We are still looking at ourselves as individuals, and we're functioning, and that selfishness that comes along with individuality is what's killing us. Mm-hmm. We've got to learn how to, 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 to begin to work forward. And I, I will say this. Yes, it is definitely possible for us to bring this together. I actually believe that we're in the midst of a powerful revolution. I believe that the forces, the external forces that are moving against the black community are so hostile right now that we are being forced to recognize the necessity for unification. We are being forced to recognize the need for black group economics. We are being forced to recognize the need to educate our own children. We are being forced to recognize the need for black men to come in and cover our women because they are being exposed right now, and we are starting to see that. Uh, And so, yeah, I, I definitely believe that it is possible. I believe that it's going to take work. I think that we've got to put down the short sightedness that some of our leaders have had in the past. And this is not an attack against our leaders, but I think that a great deal of leadership over the years have taken a, 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 a microwave approach. Uh, one of the things that individualism does to you is it makes you want to live in the moment. It makes you want to get your flowers and your adorations and your pats on the back now. So you have a lot of leaders right. who have come in with quick fixes. Why? Because they want to make it happen in their lifetime so that they can get their pats on the back. But what I see Uh is that for us to be a people, we're looking 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line. So that means that I might have to create something. I might have to start something that I don't get to live to see finished. Uh Uh But I've got to be willing to do it because just like the brother just said, Uh you can't fix something that's been 
that that that's taken two hundred years to create in a uh-huh. in a month, in a week, in a year. You've got to uh-huh. look at it and say, we've got to recondition our people. We've got to re-educate our uh-huh. people. We've got to refocus. We've got to come together with as a group. We've got to take our one trillion dollars in annual buying power and focus our spending on building businesses in the black community, dominating industries through black group economics practice vertically. We've got to create uh-huh. these infrastructures in different cities across the U.S. and create networks so that we're functioning as one unit nationally. That takes time. Uh-huh. That takes commitment, uh-huh. but it has to start somewhere. That, and for that to take full fruition, you're looking at the children who are babies now being the ones who will ultimately carry this out. And why? Because they have not yet had their minds poisoned by the anti-black sentiment of this nation. They have not had their uh-huh. dreams squashed and, and told uh-huh. that they are inferior. They, they have no limits on what they are capable of yet. So those are the children that uh-huh. we're going to plant the dreams and the seeds in. We're going to work with everyone. We're going to work to do things with everyone. But we got to realize it's going to take a generation or two to bring about a purity of understanding who we are and walking uh-huh. in the boldness uh-huh. of who we are. And it's going to take men who are willing to lay down their lives. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Martin Luther King is that a man who does not have something for which he is willing to die is not fit to live. If you don't have oh. something that you're willing to put your life on the line for, you ain't even, you're not uh-huh. fit to live. You're not ready to step out. You're just somebody that's existing. I refuse to exist. Uh-huh. I refuse to just sit around uh-huh. and exist. I would rather die today uh-huh. standing for something I believe in than to live another 75 years and have accomplished nothing because I'm afraid to step uh-huh. out and stand up. And so uh-huh. that's uh-huh. where we're at. We have to look at this thing, and we have to also be able to recognize the machinations of the enemy, the schemes and the plots and how they are designed. We've got to realize that the miseducation of our youth is not by accident. It is a planned design. It's uh-huh. funneling our young black men into the private prison industrial complex. It's mass incarceration, a a re-evolution of slavery. We went from uh, slavery to Jim Crow. We went from Jim Crow to Uh segregation. And now we're moving from Uh segregation into integration. Integration was actually, to me, one of the most devastating stages that we went through. Why? Because we gave up ownership and everything we had in order to integrate and be a part of their world. That was a time Uh we owned our own theaters. We owned our own film companies. We owned our own bus company. We, we, I mean, uh, like Dr. Claude Anders, for instance, his family actually owned uh, a bus company with over 500 buses. They, they, they serviced an entire city in North Carolina. That includes whites and blacks. That's what right. we had. But we had to give that up. So you can't say you want the right to go sit and eat in a white restaurant without leaving the black restaurant unpatronized. So when you're fighting to go sit and eat with them, to live with them, you're leaving the community, so you're, you're dispersing yourself. You're letting your businesses go because you're not patronizing black business, because you want the right to go uh-huh. spend your money in white business. And what you don't realize is when you spend your money in a white business, you are feeding the white economy. When you spend your money in an Arab business, you're feeding the Arab economy. When you spend your money in an Asian business, you are feeding the Asian economy. And that's why everybody comes into this country, moves their businesses into the black neighborhood, and builds on it. they know we don't buy. Right. That's why everybody bounces their money, cycles their money in their own economy. 
Asians uh, cycle their money nine to ten times. Hispanics cycle their money eight times. Jews cycle their money 17 times. Blacks actually don't cycle their money at all. The average dollar in the black community only stays there six hours. That's long enough to cash it and get to the nail shop, long enough to cash it and get to the liquor store, long enough to cash it and get to the filling station to go up and buy whatever you want to. All of, the, all of those are owned by either Arabs or Asians. And that's where we spend the money. They started with the Jews, but the Jews have moved on to something greater. So the Arabs and the Asians moved in and took over where they left off. And so that's what we're dealing with. But we've got to be able to recognize those machinations and understand what's going on and be able to develop strategies. We can't develop strategies because we're operating at a, at a deficiency. We're operating at a deficiency. When you think about it, uh, white supremacy has more than 1,200 think tanks. That deals with everything from black population to control to uh, global economics and everything in between. They come up with all different kind of plans. It was one of the think tanks that 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 that, that uh, David Rockefeller came up with the idea of homosexuality as a form of population control in the black community. This happened in 1973. Uh-huh. This is when uh, you just I heard you mention it, but this is when uh, homosexuality was uh-huh. taken out of the DSM which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is the Bible for psychology and psychiatrists, psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, it's where you get all of your uh, diagn- diagnostic uh, information from. Well, it was initially homosexuality, up until 73, homosexuality was listed in the DSM as a psychiatric disorder. But it was removed. That was, that, that was a, 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 a covert m- movement that convinced uh, psychologists and psychiatrists worldwide that the best thing uh-huh. to do was to remove it. So they voted to remove it from the DSM. Immediately the next year, the, 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 the process of introducing homosexuality into mainstream black America uh, began, and it has been an ongoing process. Uh, I was telling you earlier today, have you noticed that any time one of the fashion uh, gurus, one of the fashion designers decide that they're going to make something highly Feminine for men to wear mm-hmm. that is always modeled by a black model. Yep, 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 yep. You, that is true. When they when they came out with men dresses, it was black models modeling it everywhere. Now they got sweater dresses, right. and black men mm-hmm. are modeling those dresses. There's a reason why it's presenting mm-hmm. an image. When you sit up and you look at uh, mm-hmm. shows like Empire, and everybody saying, "Well, it's just entertainment." Mm-hmm. That's the problem with black people. We see everything as entertainment when they use it as a weapon. It is how we control the mm-hmm. mind. If you have not read the book Propaganda by Edward Bernays, or you haven't read the book Brainwashed by Tom Burrell, you need to read those books because it explains how media is used to control the minds and images of the masses, not just blacks, but everybody. You got to think, before Hitler started the extermination of the Jews, he had a year-long propaganda campaign where he painted them as child molesters, as bullies, as people who were going to take over and take everything from the Germans. And so when he started to oppress the Jews, he didn't meet resistance because he had painted them in a negative picture. That's the power of propaganda. Edward Bernays is the person right. who was behind making it popular for women to smoke. Yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. So, 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 so when he writes it, he's telling you, this is what I did. This is how I convinced an entire world that it was sexy for a woman to light up a cigarette. <laughs> and, 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 and that, now, now, now look at how that plays out 
And see, the thing is, we have to understand what we're facing, and we have to be willing to deal with it. What you expose your subconscious to predominantly, what you inculcate into your psyche, is what you will perpetuate in your behavior. Uh-huh. And so we look at this And that study being bombarded You look at Lee Daniels Lee Daniels came out and blatantly said I'm using this show as a mechanism To blow homophobia in the black community I'll blow the lid off of it Blow it out of the water I am using this as right. a lever To make it more acceptable in the black community And what you have to understand uh-huh. That's his purpose He's going to give you enough stuff uh-huh. to latch on to. He's going to give you the music. He's going to give you the thugs. He's going to give you the money. Uh-huh. He's going to show you all that. But at uh-huh. the end of the day, every uh-huh. now and then, you're going to see the gay kids. Every now and then, you're going to see the brothers hugged up and holding hands. Eventually, that image is going to become so common, it becomes natural. Uh-huh. It's already there. It's already there. And, and I could not and, believe that so many black men are still watching that particular show. Uh, after I, I missed the first uh, session of it, and then when I heard that the second was with these, you know, guys kissing, I just knew that it would stop. I just knew that they they would stop watching. I knew that they would ask their wives to stop watching, whatever, because, you know, we get excited just because there's a black person on television. Uh, as if right. it's supposed to be our standard of who it is, and we kind of talked about that last night, that is who, even with the whole Bill Cosby thing, very few people have said anything about the acceptable uh, potential uh, black image of man um, now being maligned by a bunch of white women saying that he raped them. Like, I mean, nobody's saying anything but we all watching the gay boys kiss on Empire and, and, and well, having well, parties, well. watch parties for it. But Do I mean, what really, you have to look at when you look, go ahead. No, just, just two, two, two cents here really quick. One other thing, um, as I, because I've spent a lot of time watching a lot of movies and what, what was interesting uh-huh. to me is movies that came out, seven to ten years ago, when they showed a homosexual couple, it would show a white and a black. Um, so okay. it'd be one, one of the members of the couple would be white, the other would be black, right? And so okay. I just thought that was, that was significant because it, it's not just two, two white guys who were doing their thing. It was, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give them a double whammy. Again, from the perspective uh-huh. of the propaganda, we'll bring in this black guy to do that. Uh-huh. Right. Well, the whole thing is it, it, it's about subtle progression. It's about presenting it in uh-huh. such a subtle manner that there's never the shock. Uh-huh. There's never that, 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 uh-huh. that, that, that shock effect that comes when you just uh-huh. throw it all in there at once. And you look at uh, what, what the shows like Scandal and the homosexual acts that go on in that place, they, go, they off the chain over there. Uh, all the stuff that's going on, and so you you, you know you, you you sit up and you study these and you look at what's going on, and and, and, and my problem is, uh, we talked about this as well. Uh, in order to make it in Hollywood, you got to play the game. So what you find is the uh-huh. vast majority of black men in Hollywood are non-threatening, in, in as far as their masculinity uh-huh. is concerned. Doesn't mean that they're gay. 
It just doesn't mean that they have an overabundance of masculinity. You have a few. We named them earlier. Right. Uh, Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson. Right. And then it starts to get, you know, you know, it starts to get. Even when you start talking about guys that women swoon over, like like Boris Kojo, he's light-complected. Um, mm. And, 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 and soft-spoken, and, and so you don't really deal with them. You look at cats that have some masculinity, and they hard, it's hard for them to get rolled. Michael J. White had to go over to Tyler Perry to get any real consistent work, you know, because he has a deep voice, and he's masculine. Right. So, 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 you know, we, we're not going to give you a whole lot because, and, 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 and he comes across as a brother, brother, he's not a brother that I met, but I've met quite a few uh, you know, when I was out there doing my thing, I met quite a few at, uh, people in the entertainment and uh, industry. And you have those brothers who are uh, very outspoken, and they don't get a lot of work because you don't want to give them the platform to which they can do. And even when you got somebody outspoken, like I love Jesse Williams to death, but again, Jesse Williams is an interracial person. He, he identifies with being black, so to me he's black because that's the way I see it. But at the same point in time, uh-huh. he doesn't represent the quintessential black man to the white man. The white man can tolerate him because there's so much in him he can see. And we, we, we hang our hat. You know, we get to celebrate. And our greatest victory as a group of black people is the fact that we have a black man in the White House. But what we don't realize is he's an interracial man whose white mother raised him. So even right. then, they didn't let right. a real quintessential black man in the White House. They got right. somebody that would appease would've... the black crowd. They got somebody right. to appease the, the black crowd, but that they could they could they could tolerate. Right. And, and so what I, we I, have to do I is we have to understand that today. I didn't ask you that today, but I want to ask you: Do you think that we would uh, ever have a dark-skinned black president? I don't see it. Do you think of? Okay. I don't see it in the near future. I don't see it, say, in the next few cycles. I don't see it uh, coming up. Uh, we had a chance with Herman Cain. I thought Herman Cain was the best possible choice to have a, quote-unquote, dark-skinned uh, black man in. Uh, uh, from uh-huh. a business perspective, the man is a genius. Uh, from a financial pers- and economic perspective, he's a genius. Uh, you know, I don't know uh-huh. about his foreign policy and things of that nature. Uh, but just in the sense uh-huh. of putting a black man in the White House, I think it will happen, but I think it will happen after blacks actually assume a more powerful role in the whole uh-huh. development and infrastructure, economic infrastructure structure and political infrastructure uh-huh. of the country. I think that uh, he, uh, President Obama has served his purpose. And one thing that I remember uh, when he was initially elected, the year after he was elected, that was this huge uh, forum that was held by Tavis Smiley. Uh, to address uh-huh. the disappointment that the black community had with uh, President Obama after his first year, uh, it, uh, seated uh, on the panel were Michelle Obama. Uh, I mean Michelle Alexander. Uh, it was uh, uh-huh. Michael Eric Dyson. Uh, most notable uh-huh. on the panel was Minister Louis Farrakhan, and I remember hearing uh-huh. Minister Farrakhan make a very powerful statement. He says, first of all, we have to be very careful." and how we address this issue. No matter where we stand with him, we can never be guilty of openly assaulting him as a black person because that's exactly what they want to do. Then he said this, though. He said, what you got to understand is President Obama was selected long before he was ever elected 
and he was elected, selected uh-huh. to run the affairs of white people. Uh-huh. And that immediately put me on my research. So I began uh-huh. to do research to understand exactly where he was coming from with that. When you start to understand politics, what you realize is in 19, uh-huh. I want to say 1956, uh, the, the rich and the wealthy came together in, uh, I think it's Sweden, but uh, at the Bilderberg Hotel. Uh-huh. And they uh-huh. came as a think tank, and they began to put together a process. Uh, and now they're known as the Bilderberg Group. They meet once a year under heavy security, and the greatest minds and the richest people come together, and they develop global policy. Uh, in right. 1972, David Rockefeller commissioned uh, Zvignu Brzezinski to create the Trilateral Commission. Uh, and through the Trilateral Commission, which is another part or another major think tank that comes together to determine global policy, Zvignu Brzezinski has successfully predicted every American president since then. Nobody's that good. Nobody's that good Uh that they can predict who the president's Uh going to be, even before some of them have declared that they were running. Now, uh, right now, you go back and you research, and you go back to nineteen—I want to say nineteen eighty-three, nineteen eighty-four. A young Barack Obama, as a freshman in college, gets a visit mm-hmm. from a CIA agent, and guess who? Zvignu presents. Mm-hmm. This is, it, it, and wow. then he became a protege of Brzezinski. Now, Brzezinski uh-huh. became his first foreign policy uh, advisor when he first uh-huh. came into the White House. So. What you start to understand is there is some things at play that we don't even have a clue of. In other words, nothing is left to chance. The wealthy elite are running the, are running, are, are running the global economy, are running the global po- uh, political atmosphere, the geopolitical atmosphere. It's being ran by the wealthy uh-huh. elite. Decisions are being made. Uh-huh. In other words, you've got to understand, go back to the, when, when President Obama was elected. Hillary Clinton was a shoe-in. Right. Uh, at the time, she was a shoe-in. Uh, then Junior Senator Obama had moved from being in the uh, Illinois state legislature to becoming a state senator while not ever writing one piece of legislature. He was elected to the U.S. Senate without ever writing one piece of legislature. He was, uh, he was nominated as uh, the presidential uh, candidate for the Democratic Party. That has never had. That's fast tracking that you have never seen. That was there. There are issues that we need a black man to handle, both domestically and in 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 our foreign policy. And watch what happens now. I almost guarantee you that Hillary Clinton wins the White House this next time around because she was already elected, selected then. But something changed the dynamic dynamic of what was happening. And they had to bring him up and fast-track him. I would almost guess that he was probably due to be elected in 2016, but something changed that. Uh So what we have to do is understand that when we talk about whether we're going to have who in the White House, it goes a lot beyond. We need more wealthy people to really impact that. That was a need to have a black man Uh until there was one. And so we have to understand how things work. And right now, we don't have the political power to really impact anything. And so... That is that aspect, but uh, 
back to the feminization real quick, and then, you know, I'll pass it back to you, and you can take the conversation where you want to take it. But when we talk at the feminization <laughs> and the homo- homosexualization, I told you this earlier. Uh, the, the miseducation of our youth has three primary uh, objectives. The first objective is to create an inferiority complex in blacks that, that ultimately ends up in self-hatred. Uh, the second uh-huh. objective is to foster white love. In other words, to create a superiority complex when viewing white people and create a certain love for the white race that uh, 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 cause us to be servile. One of the things I noticed is a reason a bunch of people won't speak up in the black community is because they're worried about hurting the feelings of white people. That, that, oh. that's, that's that white love. That's that, oh, my God, you know, uh, you know you're know, you afraid that you're going to say something that's a little too sensitive. You're going to remind them that their great-great-grandfather was a slave owner and, and, and that, right. you know, that that land they own actually came off the backs of slaves. And but get out of place and they're going to put that. you back there. They right. will put and, you and, back there. I'm, that's what I don't understand, how quickly the roles can be reversed, and we're so forgiving. But keep going because we got about 22 minutes before we end the show, and I want you to get through this because that this is another one of my ahas that I had a little pin by. So you say to uh, make us inferior, the white love, and what was the third? The third one is the feminization of the black male, and it has been it it has actually progressed from the feminization of the black male to actually the homosexualization of the black male. A uh, effeminate mm. black man cannot lead. Not only can an effeminate Daddy. black man not lead, a homosexualized black man can't reproduce. So you have Say that again. Say that again. Say that a again. homosexualized Say that again. man cannot reproduce. So we have mm-hmm. population control and mm-hmm. we have an inability to lead. So now we have a people with no leadership and no guidance, and we are now controlling their ability to reproduce. And what you have to understand Mm -hmm. in the reproductive process, in order for a people to maintain status quo as far as their population, that means that Mm -hmm. every couple has to have at least two children to replace Mm -hmm. themselves when they die. Just to stay easy, you've got to have at least two children with every couple. Now, let's talk about all the people that are not getting married. So now every couple that gets married has to produce children, enough children to make up for all the homosexuals that's not having kids, to make up for all the incarcerated right. black men that can't reproduce because they're locked behind bars. And so what you put mm-hmm. the black population into is into a situation in which they cannot produce at a rate rapid enough to maintain their numbers. So their numbers begin to decrease. When we look at the situation, and we, we found out a couple of years ago that we were no longer the largest minority in the country, that Hispanics had, had uh, passed us, mm-hmm. we immediately started mm-hmm. talking about uh, immigration. It didn't have nothing to do with how many people coming across the border. Let's talk about the 1,800 mm-hmm. abortions that we are having today. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the 40% population of, that we have in prison. Let's talk about the mm-hmm. rapid growth of homosexual men in our, in our ranks that will not reproduce. Uh-huh. Our numbers are not uh-huh. growing at a rapid enough pace to keep that position as the largest minority in the nation. And so that's why we are declining is because we've allowed ourselves to file victims to population control machinations and mechanisms that are, uh, are, are at this point proving highly effective. Yes. Yes, it's working. 
it's working. I'm going to tell you, I'm just, like, my heart is, like, racing because I'm excited because this is exactly what I envision being said, and I didn't even have to say it. Like, you said everything <laughs> that I wanted you to say. It was, like, perfect. It was so perfect. I want you to know that if just one person heard something that sparked uh, a really or didn't, I didn't know that. That's that's worth it because once you change the head, which once you change the thinking capability, then the actions of that person can change, and then the the uh, the progressivity of that will follow through with with their actions toward others. I think that it's possible. I I don't think that there's just this really. I think that the society would like for us to believe that there's only a small group of people who really think like this and who really want this to happen. Um, really think that this change is really happening. I think it's bigger than this. It's just not being vocalized. Uh, uh, Doctor, do you have any uh, new uh, uh, things coming out that you want to advertise for? Any books, any essays, or how you can be reached Uh, for any speaking events if you do that? uh, There are two things that that I would like to, to share. Number one is I'm currently working on my 16th book. It's called The Miseducation of Black Youth in America. Uh, I go in great depth of discussing the machinations, uh, which include uh, uh, the uh, special education uh, programs. Uh, It includes the alienation of black boys uh, from the educational system, uh, increasing the rate of the dropout rate, which increases the risk of incarceration. Uh, it talks about mass incarceration, the private prison industrial complex, and a number of other different things. Uh, I should be submitting that manuscript to the publisher uh, at the end of this month, and so look for it sometime, hopefully, by the end of March to be released. Uh, second of all, uh, I also do a lot of inner city work, and uh, I've just launched the latest uh, campaign through my organization, the Odyssey Consortium, uh, where we are going into uh, communities right now. The pilot program is in da- two communities in Dallas and setting up communities in Houston, which is my hometown, although I'm operating out of Dallas now. Um, and um, uh, we are going into communities. And so I'm asking people to actually stop by and provide financial support because this actually costs. Uh, I have a GoFundMe mm-hmm. campaign um, uh, available, and it's at uh, GoFundMe.com backslash educate black youth. Uh, for those people that are just stopped by there, whether they donate $5, $10, $25, whatever they feel, uh, we need to kick this campaign off because as of right now, it's just me funding it, uh, and I'm funding it from my private business uh, endeavors. Um, and so it's important. We have to reeducate our youth, and it has to be done in the community. We have to take the responsibility of understanding that we cannot trust the educational system in America to do it, and so we have to go in and supplement the education system until we're able to build our own school systems. And we have to do that by going into the community after school programs and teaching young black children about their heritage, about their history, about who they are, giving them an identity that empowers them and prepares them to go out into a world and compete as business owners instead of as employees. And so, again, uh, that's www.gofundme.com backslash educate black youth. Uh, Stop by, pay me a visit, 
you know, on there. Uh, the link to the site is also on the web, on the GoFundMe page. So you can go to uh, the Odyssey Consortium site at, uh, and, and check out all the things that I have going on there. Uh, but just keep, stay tuned. Uh, there, there are some other things that will be going on as far as, you know, radio shows uh, and ho- ultimately uh, some television time. But the key is to encourage everybody to become active, become involved. If you don't have a program, get behind somebody who does. Show support. We have to learn how to unify. We have to learn how to stand together. Uh, black men, love our black women. Black women, support our black men. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. This has been a show for the record books, baby. We're going to get this one featured. Show snippet, and then I will... Even though the empire was born out of my personal experience and endeavors, the Empress welcomes everyone into the empire. If you would like to be a guest, a co-host, or simply want to suggest a topic to be discussed, contact me by email at empresscooperdavison at gmail.com or by my website at www.theempress.com. I'm here. I'm you. All I can say is if you didn't get it, you can go back online and get it, and I'm going to hope that uh, I don't want to call him bishop. I want to say my doctor. I want to call uh, everybody who feels moved to do something to support this because this is how it starts. Nothing can be taken care of out of just sheer will. To make a move, you have to have money, and we spend it. We're going to give it away in six hours anyway. You might as well give it to a cause that's going to be purposeful, that's going to be beneficial to ourselves and our children. We are not, none of us are meant to be here forever. So the the people who make the impact to help that impact be bigger. Uh, I know that I'm a parent. Uh, I know my doctor's a parent. We have children that we have to hopefully leave here in a better state than they were before. And education is the beginning of all of that. Uh, if you ain't learned nothing tonight, you just dense, and we just need to get you some special help. Um, I don't know how we're going to do it because it was just plain and simple. It was from the mouth of a man, of an alpha man. And just like the, the, the at the end of the day, if we accept our men being emasculinated, I cannot say that word for any. If we accept our men being sissified, if we uh, accept the feminization of the leaders, then we will have a movement of male, female women and, and, and males who can't do anything. We, we won't even be able to reproduce. Yeah, we're already behind the, the numbers with being the largest minority group of people on, on, the, on the planet, but that is a side of the point of who is here, the people who are here, the people who can make a difference, the people who are free, the people who can vote. You know, we can make a difference if if we participate. You know, mouth service is great. That is what I'm good at. That's what I'm actually, that's what my platform is. But everything begins, everything that's good begins with a conversation that has an actual plan. The plan is already in place with the doctor here. It's already in place. He's already got a plan. He's already got a movement. It just needs to be funded. Please support him. Now, the song tonight is just the best song that I can think of it because when I think about the opposite of uh, emasculinated man, I think of a real man. 
like I want to just call them males because they're not men because the the support the the dependability the provision the protection all that is the definition of what a black man is and it 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 is going to have to happen if we're going to survive this I think it's an orchestration of political, social, economic uh, homicide on us, and literal homicide. I mean, I, I don't want to be extinct. After we get to take care of everything and build everything to where it is today, then we just sit back and watch it disappear. I'm not on that group, not in that group of people. So anything that I can do, I want to bring it back to the hood. Somebody waiting, baby. Gone home, don't wanna jeopardize your safety, maybe later. We shake the haters and get busy. You say you want to do same thing, then get with me. If not, then hit me. I know you know the history. Last ride round looking real crispy. Ride round town, top down on the grizzly. Grind all the time to say how to eat the sizzling. I thought I told you we run stop signs. Cause we don't stop till the cop come knocking, try to block shine. Not mine, Twan gone rhyme. Why? Like sunshine and cold north through summertime. Now bow down.
everything begins with an honest, open conversation. The Empire is exactly that place, and you can just weigh in, listen, or debate with others about topics ranging from childcare, sex, religion, and politics. We talk about the things that matter, the things we experience, and we make plans for how we can better live with change. Real talk, real people, real issues with real solutions. Call 646-478-5625 every Sunday and Wednesday at 8 Central on Blog Talk Radio to get Empire with the Empress. Or you can log on to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Empire, where the Empress speaks and the Empire listens. 